So today is week two of our series, Worship in All We Do. And last week, I talked about that often we get so focused horizontally on everything that's happening in life, we forget that we are created to look up and worship God vertically. And now today, I'm going to talk about who it is we worship. So let's pray to begin. God, I pray that we would not just hear about a God that we are called to worship, but that we would encounter you. Jesus, you have called us into relationship. May you teach us more about yourself this morning and the God we say we worship. And may you make us into worshipers that truly worship in all of life. God, remove me and may we simply hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know that everyone worships? Everyone on planet Earth worships. It's just a matter of what or who you worship. As I've had the privilege of traveling the world, I've seen worship in many different forms to many different things. From the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem and watching Jews worship at that wall, to Buddhist temples across Southeast Asia, to extravagant wealth and luxury, all of us are created to worship And we worship at all different types of altars. Worship just doesn't happen on a Sunday morning or if you have some kind of stone or wood object in the corner of your room. Worship happens in so many different ways. And what or who you worship affects the direction of your life. And so it's important to know what or who you're worshiping because that is where your life is headed. So as followers of Jesus, or if you call yourself a Christian, I think it's important to know who it is you worship. I don't hope that any of us would enter into a marriage without thinking about uh, who it is that we are marrying and getting to know them first. You probably wouldn't even go on a vacation with somebody without getting to know them a little bit. But often, I'm afraid, we come before God and we say, we worship this God, but do we really know the God that we say we worship? And I believe a fuller understanding of God will create richer worship. That the more we get to know about God, the more we understand who he is, the more rich our worship would be. So what is real worship? According to the Logos Bible software, which took the word proskuno in Greek from the New Testament, this is how they defined worship. That worship is to prostrate oneself in the presence of the divine or supernatural in humble submission. So true worship is both attitude and action. In action, prostrate means to lay yourself flat out on your face in front of this one that you're worshiping. And the attitude is in humble submission. When was the last time that you prostrated yourself before anybody? Now, there's been times in worship where we open up the front here where people come and kneel down. And for me, I've had times of worship where I've literally prostrated myself, laid myself flat out in front of God. Maybe you've had those times, maybe not. But think beyond there. Are there any other times that you've prostrated yourself before other people? Because in our culture, it's really not a normative thing to do. If you think about ancient culture... When you went before a king or a position or a person in a position of power, you would kneel or bow or prostrate yourself 
showing that you were in humble submission to that person. There's only two times that I've done this outside of worship. One was when I asked Nami's dad in Korean if I could marry her. And in preparation with this, I was coached by a Korean guy of how to bow properly before I asked him. So I did this whole series of bows in front of her dad and then asked, her in, asked him in Korean if I could marry his daughter. He was pretty impressed until he told me that the bows I did were meant for a dead person. But I tried. I tried. Okay. I think he got what I was going for. I hope. The only other time that this happened was when I took my whole family back to Korea and we had a traditional Korean wedding. And in this wedding, there were times where the whole family stood facing each other and each side would bow down to each other as a sign of respect and mutual submission to one another. There was a whole series that we went through. But beyond that, I haven't really prostrated myself in normal everyday life. And if I'm honest with what's going on within me, there's a fierce spirit of independence that I don't like to submit myself. I don't like to prostrate my will. I don't like to, in humility, submit myself to anyone else. I'd much rather be in that position and say, I can do it. I don't need any help. In life or in the American dream, that might get you far, but in front of God, in James, he writes, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so when we come to God, it needs to be with a spirit of humility and submission and sometimes with a physical act of prostrating ourselves. So when we read that we're created to worship and we define what worship is, it begs the question, who is this God that we are created to worship? And why would I worship him? Well, glad you asked, because that's what we're going to talk about. And so who is this God that we say we worship as Christians? We worship the triune God who has revealed himself in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Here's a simple picture of the Trinity That has helped me along the way. That it shows that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all God, but they are not each other. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, and vice versa. So to think about it this way, when Jesus died on the cross, the Father and the Spirit did not die on the cross. When the Holy Spirit was sent to indwell believers on the day of Pentecost, God the Father and the Son were not sent to indwell believers. So even though all are 100% God, they are unique and have different roles within the Trinity. The word Trinity is also never used in Scripture. We can't find it anywhere, but it is is referenced in many different ways. Um, This is actually Genesis 126, not 112. And it states here that God said, let us create man in our image. You can see the plural there. Us and our, that God right away is saying that there's plurality in the Godhead. So in other words, throughout all of eternity, past, present, future, God has existed in relationship with himself. And this verse in Genesis points that out of this relationship that God has with himself, he created humanity. And said, just like I have lived in relationship, I want to create a being beyond myself that can live in relationship with me and one another. 
So this whole concept of relationship started with God and continues through mankind. And we find that in the Trinitarian nature of God. We can also look in Matthew 28 where we see Jesus give a baptismal formula where he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now here, when we talk about baptism, usually we focus on Jesus' death and resurrection. That we're buried with Christ in baptism, and we rise again to live a new life, just like he rose from the dead. And that, I completely agree with it. But what Jesus is saying here is, we want to baptize people into the wholeness and fullness of the triune God. We want to baptize them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we baptize people here, we do that. It is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in a sense, what I hear Jesus saying here is, I want you to know the fullness of who God is. Not just the Father, not just the Son, not just the Spirit, but all together I want you to know the fullness and be consumed with this life that the wholeness of God gives to you. Now, before we get into talking about the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit, I want to give you a few attributes of God. These are qualities of God that are Him at His most core part. Now, the first one is, there we go, eternal. That God is eternal. There has never been a time in the past, present, or future where God will cease to exist. God is eternal. Beyond that, God is immutable, unchanging. Scripture says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God is unchanging and will always be the same. Omnipotent. God is all-powerful. When God spoke the world into existence... He was not one iota less powerful than before it. All-knowing. There is nothing that God does not know. It's called omniscience. You will never surprise God with a fun fact that he never knew. Present. He is everywhere. Scripture says that you can go to the bottom of the ocean or the heights of the heaven and you can't get away from God. That he is everywhere at once. Holy. This word holy here, used of God, means he's completely other than us. That there's parts of God that we can relate to. It's called his communicable attributes. But there are parts of him that we don't even grasp and cannot understand. And he is completely other and different than who we are. And then finally, love. That he is the personification of love. And at his core, he is love. John 15, 13 states, there's no greater love than one lay down his life for his friends. And then we see with God that he loves so much that he sent his son. And we see that the son loves so much that he gave his life for us. And God is the perfect personification of what true love is. And if I didn't talk about the attribute that you liked, feel free to come up afterwards and talk to me. Because there is a much longer list than this about God's attributes. So let's take a look at the Godhead. So let's start with the Father. The Father is the almighty creator of heaven and earth. 
He is the one who spoke the world into existence. There's a term used in Latin called ex nihilo, that out of nothing, he spoke into existence everything that has been created. And from that creation is what we've come. I love how Isaiah 40 puts it in a few verses. In verse 12, it says, Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Verse 15. No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on a scale. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. Here's verse 26. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. This is a small glimpse of Father God. And as we fast forward to the book of Revelation, we read in verses 2 to 5 of chapter 4, another picture of God the Father. And I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. I love in the book of Revelation that they use the word like a lot. Because when John is having this revelation, he has no reference point. So he's kind of saying, it's like this, but I can't even comprehend what I'm seeing right now in the majesty and greatness of God. Now, if we jump more to the end of the book of Revelation, in chapter 20, verse 11, it states, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. The earth and sky fled from his presence. That gives you a picture of holiness. That all of creation was fleeing from the throne of God because it was so incredible. And one last verse, Hebrews 12, 29, for our God is a devouring fire. Let that sink in for a moment. The immensity of God that is more powerful than any of us could wrap our small minds around. And when you think of even creation, wind, waves, storms, fire, all of this creation on this planet, how powerful it is, that doesn't even begin to give us a glimpse of who God is. Now, if we zoom out a little bit in our solar system, we come to this star that our planet is circling called the sun, And this is one of millions and millions of stars. And this one star, every second, 
of every single day. In that one second, the sun is giving off enough energy to power everything that we're doing on this planet for one million years. Every second, did you get that? Of every single day, that one star is putting off enough energy to power everything we're doing on our planet for a million years. And this is one star of millions and millions and millions of stars that we know of. And this God that we say we worship knows everyone by name. And not only that, he is the one that created these burning (laughs) nuclear explosions that are happening in the sky at all times. Gives you a little bit different picture of our God as a consuming fire. But this is the God we worship. And we need a new revelation that our God we worship is not a small, puny, weak God, but he is a God who is worthy of praise and much larger and greater than we could ever even comprehend. We worship the almighty maker of heaven and earth. But also we worship Jesus the Son. Jesus the Son of God. And who is this Jesus that we worship? This is now God up close. God face to face. God in the dirt. God in the dust. God in the sweat and tears. This is God that is relatable right in front of us. It is God come to us. It is God in flesh. We read in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Jesus understands your struggles. Jesus understands your weaknesses. It says that he has been tested and tempted in every way as we are. But when we said yes to sin, he said no. When we gave in to temptation, he didn't. And because of that, it says that we now have a great high priest who is seated in the heavenly realms. And what is the role of a priest? A priest is one who mediates between God and people. And so Jesus is the great mediator between God and us. Timothy, in book 1, chapter 2, verse 5, states it this way, For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. That is the man, Jesus Christ. That we have one who is so up close and personal and has restored relationship between God and man that we can come to. Jesus is the one that through his death and his resurrection said, I have made a way so that you can live in relationship with God. Jesus is up close. He is God that is very personal. He is God bridging the gap relationally between God and humanity. But before you get into this idea of like getting comfortable with Jesus, Because I think sometimes how we portray him in modern day's time is sort of this like meek and mild, sweet baby Jesus. Come to him, he's cool with whatever. It doesn't matter how you live or what you do. 
we have to understand that when Jesus came, he came in a certain form, but when he's coming back, it's going to be a much different picture. And if we look in Revelation chapter 19, we see what Jesus looks like as he's coming back. And we read, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. We worship God the Father, and we worship Jesus the Son. And Jesus the Son came and was born in a humble little town outside the city of Jerusalem. He grew up for 30 years, ministered for three, three and a half years, died a criminal's death, resurrected from the dead, ascended to heaven, sits at God's right hand. But when he is coming back, it's not as a meek and mild Jesus. It is as a conquering king. The King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. That is the one we worship. And finally, it says on this slide that we worship the Holy Spirit, but nowhere in Scripture could I find in my brief one-week study of the Holy Spirit uh, that anywhere tells us to worship the Spirit of God. It's kind of interesting that you have this Godhead and we aren't necessarily told to worship the Spirit of God. But what I do see is that the Spirit of God is the one who empowers us to worship God. In Galatians 4, 6 we read, And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Can you see that pattern there? That God sends his spirit and his spirit within us turns back our hearts to God and calls out Abba Father. The term Abba Father there is a term of intimacy and connectedness. And it's like a small child crawling up on the lap of their daddy and saying, Daddy, Daddy. And so we read here that God has given us a spirit that makes us intimately connected with the Father God. In Ephesians 2.8 we read, Now all of us can come, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. Once again, you see a picture of the Trinity there. That all of us can come to the Father, how? Through the Spirit of God, because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So Jesus is the one who has died for us. The Spirit is the one who creates and empowers us for this relationship in a supernatural way with God. Last week I talked about that, and John it talks about that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. That true worship happens on a spiritual plane, not just a physical plane. And the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us and fills us to worship God and connects us with God. 
So the more we understand the indwelling presence of the Spirit, the more I believe we're able to worship. We can see this picture again in Ephesians 5 verses 18 and 19 where it says, Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. I don't think it was an accident here that Paul, right after commanding people to be filled with the Spirit of God, states that a natural overflow of being filled with the Spirit of God is musical worship. Not just worship, but musical worship. That when you are filled with the Spirit, songs of God will pour out of you. And there'll be this desire to sing songs in your heart and have them pour out of your mouth. I don't know how it works for you, but there's many days that I wake up and there's a song like resonating in my soul. That it's not just in my head, but it's almost like my soul is singing and saying, you know, there's this desire to worship God the first thing in the morning. And I believe as we put worship in us, it comes out of us too. That as we gather like on Sundays and we worship God or if we listen to worship music throughout the week, that stuff gets in us and the Spirit of God grabs a hold of it and brings it back out of us at different times. When was the last time you woke up with a song of worship on your heart? I know for me, at least a few times this week. And even in that, I can make a decision to enter into worshiping God more or simply go and get on social media or get on to my daily tasks. But God's spirit within us creates this desire on a spiritual level to worship. And as the Holy Spirit fills your life, the natural response is worship. So here's a great model of worship. The Holy Spirit empowers us to worship God, the Father, through the Son, Jesus. We can get the whole Trinity involved in worship. That the Holy Spirit living in us empowers us to worship the Father, and the only way we can come to the Father is through the Son, Jesus. And so we get this whole picture of worship. That when we worship, we are worshiping within the Godhead and the triune nature of God. So when we say yes to Jesus... Or when you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to the Holy Spirit coming into your life. And you said yes to becoming a worshiper of the living God at your very core. We are designed for worship. We are created to look up and worship God. So I ask you a question. Which member of the Trinity do you need to connect with more in worship? As I talked about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, which one do you need to incorporate in your worship more? For me, I love to talk about Jesus. I'm like all wrapped up in Jesus a lot of times, but maybe I could shift over here a little bit more and get to know the Spirit of God and be more responsive to the Spirit of God within worship. Or maybe over on this side, I need to come back to God being a consuming fire that is so much greater and more holy and unapproachable that when I come to God, I need to recognize it is only because of Jesus that I'm not completely obliterated in his presence. But for each of one of us, I don't know where you're at, but we need a new and fresh revelation of who God is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And I believe as we get this fresh revelation, 
through this fuller understanding of God, we are going to have richer and richer worship of God. We are designed to worship. We are created to look up and worship our triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And my hope and prayer is that we don't just hear about God today, but that we encounter him today in our worship. That each moment in our lives will be simply lived out as an act of worship of our great and mighty and holy, incredible God. Let's pray. God, you are beyond comprehension. And a short message on a Sunday doesn't even do you justice. But God, we have come here to worship you and to connect with you. And Lord, we know that our understanding is minute compared to your majesty. But Father, may you take our understanding and may you fuel it into worship of the living God. May the spirit of God within us stir in a greater measure a desire to worship our great and mighty God. Lord, may you stir in us to say yes to you. And for those of us even here today that have never said yes to this God, may we today say yes. We receive the sacrifice of the Son, Jesus. We receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and we have come to worship God Almighty. And Lord, may we encounter you in your fullness. And may this worship transform us into all that you created us to be. That when people see us, they see the great and mighty, glorious God that we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.